Hi, my name is Melanie Marconi, serial entrepreneur, single mom, and founder and CEO of Vita, a co-working community designed to support modern life. I launched Vita two years ago while working and momming full-time, and it took true vision, lots of hard work, and a little bit of luck to make it a reality. Launching a new business or any other big goal or project while working, taking care of yourself, and raising small humans is an extraordinary achievement, but people do it all the time. And with some inspiration, resources, and advice from those who have been there, you can too. I created the Make Life Work podcast to share experiences from my own journey, as well as to learn from other women who are pursuing ambitious goals. Each week, we'll take an inside look at what drives us, why these projects are important, and how we structure our lives to make it all work. And now, on with the episode. Hello, and welcome to episode eight of the Make Life Work podcast. I'm your host, Melanie Marconi, and I'm also the founder and CEO of Vita Coworking in Portland, Oregon. I'm excited to report that this week, Vita is fully back in action and open to our members. And for this episode, I actually had the pleasure of interviewing one of our founding members, Madison Young. Madison is a mom of two wonderful and artistic kiddos, and she is also a noted sex educator and artist whose work has taken her around the world and has been featured in outlets from the Independent Film Channel to Bitch Magazine to Bravo TV. Her storytelling work touches every medium, from live theater to a memoir to children's books and a podcast, and her recent project, Submission Possible, takes viewers on a sex-positive trip around the globe, and it recently premiered on the streaming network Reverie TV. It's getting really rave reviews, which is great to see. Madison has long been an advocate and ally for queer and trans communities and for sex worker rights, and she's been very active in social justice conversations within our community. I hope you enjoy this far-reaching episode in which we discuss her show and career, the Black Lives Matter movement, and the importance of finding and maintaining resources to take care of oneself. Enjoy! Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Make Life Work podcast. Today, I am joined by Madison Young. She is a member here at Vita Coworking, and she is also a feminist filmmaker, sexual revolutionary, and host of Reverie TV's new series, Submission Possible. Welcome, Madison. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. I am too. I've been excited for you to be on the podcast actually for a long time because you are also an experienced podcaster with your series, Wash Your Mouth Out. That's correct. Yeah. I've been co-hosting Wash Your Mouth Out podcast for a little over a year now. And it's, it's super exciting. Yeah, it's a really great show. You guys have been doing some really great work and it was very inspiring when I was getting this podcast started. So thank you. And you you are really using all sorts of media to get your message across with the podcast. I know you've written a couple books and done a few films and now with your new TV series. Why did you pick media to, to share your message? Tell us a little bit more about what you're doing. Let's see. I've, I've always been a storyteller and I knew very early on in my life that I wanted to tell stories and I wanted to hold space for other people to tell their stories and create representation for queer folks and marginalized communities to see themselves 
in the media to hear their stories being told and have a place to tell their own stories. Wow. You've been telling stories almost your whole life then, it sounds like. How, how, how young were you when you really got this idea that that's what you wanted to do with your life? I was probably a teenager, I guess. Like really, I was a, a queer youth in Southern Ohio. And at the time, there wasn't really a lot of I didn't see myself being represented in in TV or film. And it was definitely not a sex positive environment. I grew up in a very religious, conservative space. And so there was a lot of shame around bodies and sexuality. And that was really uncomfortable to sit in through my teenage years. And I, I knew in my heart that it was my purpose in life to go forth and to hold that space for other people to have a sense of belonging and to see themselves in the media. So I went to a performing arts high school, graduated and went out to San Francisco at the age of 20 and started a a performance art space and art gallery that was dedicated to promoting women and transgender artists. So um, I didn't really know how to do that, but um, <laughs> you figured you know, it out. That's never stopped me before. You know, I mean, I knew the why, not the how, and the why was strong enough for other people to also believe in that purpose and get behind it. And I found mentors and resources, and just kept on pushing. And I've always been inspired to seek out new mediums to work in, like writing and theater, podcasting, and feminist porn, and television now. Yeah, I feel like now with your new show, you've really hit them all. I mean, really, you have such a a broad scope of work now and really being able to meet people where they're at and how they're taking in information to learn more about the world. So then how, how did you come up with the idea for Submission Possible? Tell us a little bit about the journey, how that came to be. I, I have heard about it kind of as it's been unfolding. And so let's share with everybody else how it went down. Sure. So I was in New York and I had, had just finished an off-Broadway tour of my one-woman show, Reveal All, Fear Nothing. And I was doing this tour with my kids. I brought my kids to New York and was solo parenting there. So I you very nights and very early mornings and a lot of coffee, but it was worth it. And at the end of the tour, we went to the Berkshires in Massachusetts. And as I was putting my youngest kiddo to sleep, I had this vision for the show, which might seem weird, but I often have, like, I feel like my film ideas and, and book ideas and, and television, like these concepts and visions often come to me when I'm in a meditative state or like right before going to bed. And as a mama, like when I'm putting my kiddo to bed, I have to slow my breath. I'm not quite asleep. I'm hoping to stay awake. So I have (laughs) some time to myself, but I'm able to tap into my subconscious space. And it's when I have these dreams and visions. And I, I just saw the series before my eyes and the name and the format. And I was like, I, 
have to manifest this into existence. So the next month I put together a sizzle reel and I didn't know what that was or how to do it. But again, I figured it out and put together a pitch deck and a sizzle reel, which is kind of like a trailer for the concept of your show. I sent that around to some different producers and things. And, you know, I feel like sometimes when you have work that is edgy or that involves a big risk, it's harder to get people fully behind it. So often in my life, I have had to self-produce first to show folks this is beautiful and powerful and has a big impact and I'm going to prove it. Right. Prove concept with your own produced show. Exactly. I was going to New Orleans. This was last April to guide a group of women through the experience of making their own erotic films. It was a erotic filmmakers retreat and I helped them with the script and the casting and, and the entire experience I had one day off while I was down there and I was like, I should manifest my pilot on my day off. Right. Um, Is that actually a day off then? I don't know. (laughs) It wasn't a day off anymore. It's still enjoyable, but yeah. (laughs) So I spent my, my Easter Sunday, uh, we were down there and everyone else was at the big queer New Orleans Easter parade, uh, which is a big deal down there. And I was casting and writing my script. And then Monday morning, early morning, I think at like 5.30 in the morning, we started the production experience and we shot for 18 hours. Oh my gosh. Got the whole pilot in a a single day in New Orleans, and then a couple hours in Portland for some pickup shots when I got back. Wow. And did you have the kids with you on that trip? No. no. I, okay. Um, thank God. Um, <laughs> yeah. That would really have been a miracle to get that much work in in one day. Yeah. It was a retreat. So it was very immersive. And and I mean, I guess I could have rented a separate place and and left the retreat kind of thing. But um, it just didn't make sense for how long I was going to be there. Yeah. It's, it's always something I have to consider of like, how long am I going? Does it make sense to bring the kids or not? And I'm really glad that I didn't because I was really able to immerse myself fully in the whole creative experience and relax afterwards. Yeah. The continuity, I would imagine, of the pilot episode was probably amazing because you were so in it for this whole like one day of shooting. So you shoot it there and then you come back to Portland and you kind of do whatever pickup scenes to make it perfectly cohesive. And yes. then what? Well, there was a lot of footage. So when you're shooting documentary, I had like the script that I was going in with, but you also don't know exactly what the interviews are going to be like. So I looked at everything that I had and then I kind of threaded together the narrative that made sense with the footage that we got recorded a voiceover that kind of leads folks through Madison's journey of of New Orleans and then put together the the shots for that we needed to to shoot here to make that narrative work and from there it went on to editing I have an amazing editor that I've 
worked with for many years, Christopher Zyshag, who's also a, a, a writer and does sound. And he did all the sound and all the music and all the coloring and all the editing. He's incredible. And then after we had a finished, edited pilot, I shopped it around to a lot of different networks before I found Reverie in January. Which seems like a perfect fit for the show and for just the vision of what you're doing in the world. I mean, it could could not have been more perfect. Yeah. I mean, it really is like the queer Netflix. And it was really, really great to just find a super supportive network that, you know, and I feel like it's it's hard when you find a network or a publisher or producer. Sometimes they, they have their own ideas of what's going to meet the audience need. And I've definitely been told in the past that things need to be less queer. Things need to be less kinky. You need to tone it down. Like... You know, you have to choose a side. You can't, you can't like guys and girls. You can't like, you, you can't like introduce, you know, gender into this narrative when we're focusing on this topic. You know, it was really great to find a network that, you know, their tagline is like unapologetically queer. Yeah, it kind of gets your message and your vision out into the world in the way you want. And- Make Life Work podcast is proudly supported by the University of Oregon's Executive MBA program. This Portland-based program is designed for established professionals who want to earn their MBA while continuing to work full-time, and they are currently accepting applications for the fall 2020 cohort. Learn more or register for an upcoming information session by visiting business.uoregon.edu slash executive MBA. Or linking to it in the show notes. It's getting really great reviews. I mean, I think it's called like a kinky travel show. Is that the right kind of language where you're traveling to different places and just exploring all sorts of different uh, queer culture and different types of kink? And like, how would you, in your own words, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think someone had said that it's like the Anthony Bourdain of sexuality. Um, yes, I think I read that somewhere too. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I think that that's a pretty good description because that's you know, that's what he did was, you know, I mean, I think I'm, I'm traveling to different cities and it's really about connecting with these different communities in different cities and, and meeting with really rad queer kinksters in different cities and talking about their kinks and fetishes and and sharing that. I've been on quite a few sexuality documentaries as the subject before. And often the way that they're played off is very much othering in a way of like, they're a novice and they're coming in. And the fact that you like rope or you're a submissive or that you're an ecosexual or whatever your kink is, that that that's kind of weird. Tell us about that, you know? And this isn't like that. It's like, hey, I'm from this part of the community. You're from this part of the community. Like, let's share stories. Let's um, get to know each other. Let's share skills, being honored to get to know the city and the community and these individuals. Right. 
in a very just kind of open and accepting and this is this is normal life and this is lives for many people and and let's learn more and check it out and and I think just with anything anymore the more information you have or just getting to know somebody personally allows you to understand any topic in a better, you know, more inclusive and accepting kind of way. And so what you're able to do on this show to open this up to, to the world is really, really quite amazing. So congratulations. Yeah, that's definitely a, a big goal of it. I think, you know, representation is, is so important for the queer community, but it's also important for everyone else to be able to see queer characters and queer individuals being represented authentically as who they are, because no matter what marginalized group it is, stigma and shame and dehumanizing of marginalized cultures, it it's a catalyst for violence. And so, you know, I'm very much working to help untangle that stigma to show the humanness of all of us. Wow, I love that. It's really beautiful work and and the way that you are able to dive into these topics and talk with people, whether it's on the podcast or on the series, or I know you have a children's book as well. The way that you're able to take in and really make it understandable and beautiful is is really quite a talent. So I appreciate the work you're doing in the world. And I would imagine too that that your work is changing quite a bit. I, I know you're just recently out of quarantine and you do a lot of traveling for your work to go shoot, you know, the different types of media that you're doing. And I know that you have one project that's been on hold for quite some time now. So what does life look like for you now in the in the COVID era? <laughs> I had all of the episodes completely mapped out of what cities I'd be flying to for this series. And it's definitely presented some constraints to say the least it is even for folks that are located in LA and have and are shooting in LA the idea of how to open production up safely I think is something that everyone is being very very wary of you know and above all you know I mean it's important to tell the stories but we must tell them safely so we're sorting out how to do that the the next episode that I'll be shooting, I'm hoping to shoot sometime in, in July, the latest early August, will be on uh, quarantine. So oh. how the queer and Kate community is adapting to quarantine. And that will involve some self... I'll have a cinematographer I'm working with in Portland and a sound person, but it'll be a very minimal crew of basically two people, someone will go in ahead of time and light it and leave. And then me and the guest. So keeping things as skeleton as possible, as far as like a skeleton crew, very, very minimal skeleton crew. (laughs) And with this pilot, we really, I, I shot with the production assistant that was one of the students that I had and a cinematographer. I had, you know, it was really two people. Ideally, it's nice to have a larger (laughs) crew and more support. However, you have to stay flexible and adaptable. 
Yeah. And well, I, you do have experience with a one woman show too, even though I'm sure there were lots of people behind the scenes on that, but you always figure it out. And I'm sure this will be uh, no different with the upcoming weeks and getting the show shot. And how about at home? You have two young kids and I know you had a very elegant, perfectly scheduled life pre-COVID and had all of your things in place to be able to take care of yourself and your family life and your work life. And so how are you managing with all of that now? What what does your new life schedule look like? I think overall, we have done very well. (laughs) Everyone's still alive. Everyone is still alive. (laughs) It took me a good year to kind of come to terms... (laughs) doing a lot of therapy to even get to the point of asking for resources and seeking out resources for myself, like, like Vita as one of my resources and um, adequate childcare and community, you know, what things were really nourishing to me that I needed to, to thrive and all of these expectations. I think we're both turning 40 this year. And I I had many plans to do all of this exotic travel. I wanted to go to Bali. I, you know, wanted to like run in a half marathon. I was like, I'm going to do all these things. Totally. And then, you know, the universe sometimes has different challenges for us. So (laughs) I've been doing a lot of internal work, at least up until about a month ago. I was really doing pretty good at like journaling every day, meditating every day, working out every day. The last few weeks with the police brutality that has been happening and coming out and into light has been really, really emotionally challenging. And I've been, mm-hmm. I've been doing a lot of work within the community with my kiddos school in integrating anti-bias, anti-racist curriculum and putting some calls to action to the administration there for change. And I think that that's important that that we all in this time sort out how we can create change. What is our platform? What is our skill set? And that it's not something that exists in some faraway bubble. This is something that exists within all of us. So how can we create that change within those communities that we're a part of? Yeah, I love that kind of way of looking at it is that we we all have a role in this. It's all in our society and what are our individual strengths and what individual communities do we have where we can actually affect change and take steps forward. And I think that's obviously been on everybody's minds, but I think in your role as a leader and in your community and my role as a leader in the communities that I'm a part of, one that we share and overlap in Vita, it's just being thoughtful of making sure that there's a plan and there's action behind it and that it continues moving forward. Because my concern, and I know that it is yours too, is that there's a lot of energy around it right now, but this same exact need is still going to exist nine months from now and 18 months from now. And how do we set things up to really make sure that we can maintain this in the long term? I think the idea about changing the curriculum and the school is is really forward thinking and we all have something to to contribute to, to make change. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, a lifetime a lifetime of work really and 
really my point of reference that I have is the work that I've done within the queer community and the transgender community and the uh, sex worker rights. I've been working within those communities to create change for the last 20 years. And so much has changed. There have been many steps forward, but there are still, I mean, like I still experience death threats, you know, like I have had rocks thrown at me. I have lost housing, sexual stigma and homophobia and transphobia. Like these things are, are very real and still very much exist. And it's a lifetime of work. And I'm also really examining how all of those things intersect with Black lives, because really it's like the, the folks that started the queer liberation movement were queer, trans, Black, sex-working <laughs> individuals. That were really? the, and those are the, are the folks that are the most at risk and often the names that get left out of the marches as well. So it's so important that there's, there's been some protests and organizational work surrounding specifically Black trans lives and Black sex workers and not, not forgetting those individuals. Right. Even further marginalized. Yes. It just feels like there's so much work to be done. And I feel like it mirrors also just what you're doing in your work as well, just like causing people to open their eyes and learn a little bit more and see what's happening and just get a better glimpse into who people are so that we can have a bit more tolerance and understanding and and keep that messaging moving forward. I hope everybody can check out your show on Reverie. So it's, it is a subscription service, right? But I know that there are times when it's more like a broadcast channel and people can tune in. I believe you can screen it for free right now. There's, I think that it's both an app and a website. Oh yeah, I have seen it on Roku. If you go to reverie.tv, it has like all the places that it's available. I downloaded the app today as well. It's pretty cool to see it like in the new releases there and you can screen it. I, I believe it's currently free, but it, they have a broadcasting aspect too. So at certain times it will be broadcasting, but it's always available on demand. Okay. And I'll be sure to put all these links in the show notes so people can easily find it. And if they want to learn more about you, where can they follow and find you? Yeah, you can go to madisonyoung.org, like orgasm. Uh, <laughs> I was wondering about that. Was that on purpose, like orgasm? I was like, is she yeah. You know, it's easy to remember. I love it. And, um, but someone else also owns madisonyoung.com. Okay. <laughs> also that. <laughs> um, so madisonyoung.org. And Instagram at therealmadisonyoung. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Madison. It was such a delight to talk to you on the podcast. And as always, thank you for being a member of Vita, your presence here, actually a founding member of Vita. Our community here just wouldn't be the same without you. So thanks again and have a great rest of the day. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye. The Make Life Work podcast is recorded on-site at the Vita Coworking Community in Northeast Portland and is made possible by our friends at the University of Oregon Executive MBA program. Go Ducks! 
New episodes are released each Monday and you can subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week.